Hello, and welcome to The Advantage Investor, a Raymond James Limited podcast, a podcast that provides perspective for Canadian investors who want to remain knowledgeable, informed, and focused on long-term success. We are recording this on July 29th, 2021. I'm Chris Cooksey from the Raymond James Corporate Communications and Marketing Department, and joining me today is Emma Quarengesser. Senior Alternative Investment Specialist with our Structured Solutions and Alternative Group here at Raymond James to discuss the world of alternative investments. Welcome to the Advantage Investor, Emma. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me today. That is great to hear. Uh, it's a rainy day in Toronto, so let's just jump right into it. So let's start with the basics, Emma. What are alternative investments? So broadly speaking, an alternative investment is an asset that does not fall into one of the traditional asset classes, such as equities, fixed income, or cash, and is used to more fully diversify a portfolio, among other objectives. So some of the examples of different types of alternative investment strategies and assets can include an investment in real assets. So for example, investing in your home, that would be owning a real asset and an alternative investment or having fractional ownership to a private apartment building would also be investing in an alternative investment. Other types of investments, such as ownership to bridges and airports through managed product, would be considered an investment in infrastructure, and therefore you'd be having exposure to alternative investments. Private equity would be another subcategory of an alternative investment. So there's tons of companies out there that list on a publicly traded stock exchange, whether it's owning shares of Royal Bank or Apple, but there's also hundreds of companies that do not directly list on any exchange that through a manager that has the experience to identify those investment opportunities, investors can have access to those private companies. Private debt and mortgage funds are also other types of all-term investments. Now, these are essentially directly negotiated loans with borrowers who do not qualify for traditional financing from bank channels. And the loans can be secured against different types of collateral. So in the case of private debt, that could be accounts receivable, personal guarantees of the borrower, or land values. In the case of mortgage products, those loans are going to be secured against real estate, such as commercial buildings or residential properties. So hedge funds, they are different types of strategies that use traditional investments such as stocks and bonds, but in a non-traditional manner. So if you actually take something like a long short equity fund that invests in publicly traded equities, the manager may wish to go long investments that they think will go up in value and actually hedge some of the market risk by shorting the equities that they think will go down in value. So the key takeaway is that alternative investments are diverse and do not all serve the same investment purpose in an investor's portfolio. So- uh, and when it comes to alternative investment products, I imagine there's many different reasons why someone would consider that. I imagine in a low yield world like this, that might be one reason, but maybe you can get into the reasons why people would consider alternative investments. Absolutely. So Chris, a balanced portfolio of 60% equities and 40% fixed income has had one of the best track records over the past 50 years. It's roughly had positive returns 85% of the time over a rolling one-year period. of the time over rolling three-year periods, and 99.5% of the time over rolling five-year periods since 1980s. There's a few main principles that we believe have been large contributors to these these strong results. Positive longer-term returns for stocks, falling but still positive yields on bonds, low inflation, and stocks and bonds moving in opposite directions, so having negative correlation to each other. 
In today's environment of lower bond yields, as you mentioned, heightened risk of inflation from highly accommodative monetary and fiscal policy and concerns over rising interest rates, we think there are several headwinds that may challenge future return expectations of that 60-40 portfolio. And in that case, investors will need to take into consideration in their asset allocation some serious decisions. Some of these are if there is low and even negative government bond yields, will they challenge the historical return expectations when rates begin to rise? Is there a greater potential for the negative correlation between bonds and stocks to diminish? Mm-hmm. And inflation, increasing pressures on inflation from aggressive monetary and fiscal stimulus could hurt bond prices when rates begin to rise through higher yields. So the declines in interest rates have been a large contributor to the capital gain component of fixed income portfolios, while in periods of rising rates, returns have been negative or flat. So government bond yields peaked in the mid-teens in the early 1980s. Think about this. You could have got a GIC yielding 15% in the 1980s. I remember having a conversation with my grandfather saying the bank was trying to get him to um, sell his his 18% yielding GIC, and he was just going to wait till it matured. So that was probably a good decision. Mm-hmm. But this implies that the historical fixed income returns that most investors have grown accustomed to have largely benefited from that 40-year period of perpetually, per, perpetually declining rates. Excuse me. With U.S. and Canadian 10-year government yields bottoming out at approximately 0.5% in August 2020, Such low yields mean that owning short duration or risk-free assets make it much more difficult to meet investors' return and income objectives, forcing one further into longer duration, higher yielding securities in the search for yield. Now, this is where investors may wish to consider expanding into alternative investments. In an environment where investors have been forced to make relative decisions about where to allocate capital, For the appropriate investor, alternative investments can be a way to bridge that gap between equities and fixed income in a low-rate environment, offering better diversification and the potential to achieve a more favorable rate of return than fixed income, but with less volatility than going further into equities. So broadly speaking, most alternatives will strive to lower volatility, enhance returns, generate some income, provide downside protection and lower correlation to existing investments in their por- in a client's portfolio. So within that space, there's a number of strategies that are going to play different roles within the portfolio, each with their own unique set of risks that an investor needs to be mindful of. So very similar, obviously, in terms of general investment advice around asset allocation in some ways there. Absolutely. Just taking into account some of the factors that are in the world today that um, investors have to take into account L-term investments might be a good fit for them, but depending on the investment, it may also not be suitable. And, and those are those are some of the factors that will have to be discussed with their investment advisor. Right. Now, so for investors who are just learning about the alternative investment space or have known about it, but have never really participated, um, what are some of the key considerations these investors should keep in mind when it comes to uh, alternative investments? So that's a great question. I think one of the most common questions that I get asked is, what is the best alternative investment and what's the optimal allocation? And the short answer is really that the optimal allocation to alternative investments really depends on the individual client profile. So it's going to be a function of the client's risk tolerance, that investor's investment objectives, what are their liquidity needs and how long do they plan to hold that that investment? 
What do they already own in their portfolio? What is the size of that portfolio? And what, what is the market environment that we're in or that they expect to be going into? So all-term investments absolutely should not be thought of as a one-size-fits-all asset class. There are a number of strategies that are going to play different roles within the portfolio, each with their own unique set of risks. And I'd really stress that all-term investments are not intended to replace the core portfolio. So they're intended to complement and diversify traditional investments. You may think that fixed income is going to be challenged going forward. That does not mean that if you're in a 40-60 portfolio, you just get rid of all of your 40% to fixed income. It's to further diversify and optimize that portfolio. So we also stress um, in my conversations with advisors, to diversify across different alternative assets and strategies and different managers. This way, while you're trying to optimize that portfolio to help you with some address some of the challenges that we're experiencing in today's environment, you're still taking into account the fact that you want to reduce single strategy risk and concentration risk from any single manager. And lastly, it's really important to be mindful of the unique structural differences between all-term investments and other investments like mutual funds or ETFs. Alternatives can have subscription agreements, which may require the investor to be an accredited investor. They may have performance fees, different liquidity profiles or restrictions on selling the investments, higher minimum thresholds, ability to use leverage, and so forth. So as with any investment, proper due diligence is important before investing, but arguably even more so within all-term investments. Totally makes sense. You want to avoid those surprises you're not planning for, for sure. Now, um, is there, um, when it comes to alternative investments, is there an alternative investment investor? So who invests in alternative investments, if you will? So Chris, historically, alternative investments have been largely owned by institutional investors, large endowment funds, high net worth individuals, family offices, and pension plans. So in fact, there's a huge disconnect between the average allocation in an average investor's portfolio and how Canadian pension plans allocate to alternatives on behalf of millions of individuals' retirement plans. So great statistic is that over 40% of Canadian pension plan, OMERS, Ontario teachers' pension plans are invested in alternative investments. So the profile of a pension plan is going to be very different than an average investor who may have different liquidity needs or an investment time horizon, um, and where based on that, the investment may not be suitable. However, that being said, we are seeing an increased adoption in retail and non-accredited investor portfolios. Up until the Canadian Mutual Fund regulatory framework was modified in the fall of 2018, Traditional hedge fund strategies had been reserved just for sophisticated and high net worth, otherwise known as accredited investors. So the result of these changes on a regulatory level was the creation of a new class of mutual funds that we call liquid alts or alternative mutual funds. And what's great about this is that they can provide mainstream investors with additional options for that portfolio diversification we talked about. So individuals who otherwise were precluded from investing in these types of investments before are now able to consider them for their asset mix. And some of the benefits of this new format for the average investor include in, um, lower minimum investment thresholds, better liquidity, more transparency, no paperwork. Um, and so it's really been a huge benefit for advisors and their clients who otherwise were precluded from, from owning this space. 
Um, we at Raymond James actually have over 70 liquid alt investments that are available for clients to pursue. Um, and we've seen a steady stream of liquid alts continue to come into the Canadian marketplace. Uh, Scotiabank actually predicts that the liquid alt market will be over 100 billion in Canada by 2025. Wow. Um, and like I said before, you know, it's just still remember to be, even though these types of products are available to mainstream investors, you want to take into consideration, you know, their unique attributes and how they, you expect them to perform in the portfolio. Suitability is always key, I imagine. Absolutely. So those are, that's a great overview so far. So let's just end this, Emma, with, um, as you know, we are going through the COVID-19 pandemic. So how have alternative investments, I know it's a broad question, but um, how have they performed during uh, the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic obviously was a challenging time investors on personal level, but also from an investing standpoint. During the first quarter of 2020, we saw large equity indices like the TSX and S&P 500 decline roughly 20% during this period. So a lot of fixed income investments also lost money over this period of time as spreads widen. I mean, I'm very pleased to say that a well-diversified portfolio of alternative investment strategies and assets served to preserve capital, lower peak to trough declines, and in some cases actually generated positive returns over this period of time. So the Scotiabank Canadian Hedge Fund Index, which is a proxy for a diversified basket of Canadian hedge fund strategies, only lost 6.9% during the first quarter of 2020. So that was roughly a third of what equity markets declined over that same period. Um, and so, you know, investors were generally speaking pretty happy to have some diversification from, from equities within that portfolio um, during that period of time. Now, interesting, I'll just quickly comment on this, but in, in the first quarter of this year, so from January 1st, 2021 to the end of March um, of 2021, we saw bond yields begin to rise very quickly. So this is where some of the fixed income portion of the portfolio has been challenged as well. We saw, you know, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yield increase for, from 0.9% at the end of December to 1.75% over that quarter. So prices of bonds went down. And actually, the FTSE TMX Canada Universe Bond Index lost 5.04% during this period of rising rates. So in a balanced portfolio, um, your equities made money, your, your bonds lost money. Um, and in Raymond James, um, we actually break out alternative strategies and assets across 10 different subgroups. And on average, each of these subcategories outperformed this fixed income index during this time. So as one can see, for the appropriate investor, alternatives can really help to more fully diversify a traditional portfolio and lower correlation to equities and fixed income. And actually, well, one final stat, sure. Chris, is that actually since inception, the fund correlations to the FTSE TMX Canada bond index for each alternative investment category that we monitor has been less than 0.3 in some and in some categories actually negative. So something that is perfectly correlated would have a correlation of one. Um, anything that is perfectly negatively correlated would have a correlation of negative one. So 0.3 is significantly lower correlation, even to fixed income, let alone to equities. So thanks, Emma. So that clearly means to me um, that um, some of these alternative investments provide a nice bit of asset allocation and obviously the appropriate amount, amount for uh, investor portfolios. Um, 
So Absolutely. thanks, Emma. Perfect. Well, thanks, Emma. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts today with the Advantage Investor listeners. Uh, I hope you will come back on maybe in a, in a little bit. We can uh, get perhaps a little deeper um, in, in your next appearance, but I really appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate being here, Chris, and hopefully uh, this was helpful to investors that are considering alternatives for their portfolio. Thanks so much again for taking the time. Well, thanks very much, Emma. I look forward to seeing you in the office soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Likewise. Uh, so the Advantage Investor is now on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So please subscribe, and if you will, rate the podcast. If you have any questions, please contact your advisors. Emma is one of the great resources here. Emma speaks with advisors every day on these types of subjects. So if you have any questions, filter them through your advisor, and Emma is only too pleased to help out. On behalf of Raymond James and the Advantage Investor Podcast, thank you for taking the time to listen today. Until next time, stay well. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Statistics and factual data and other information are from sources Raymond James Limited believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Information is furnished on the basis and understanding that Raymond James Limited is to be under no liability whatsoever in respect thereof. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any product and should not be considered tax advice. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax related matters. Securities related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund.